Hello and welcome to the Heritage Month series. My name is Kojo Akotobuating. The Heritage Month series. Uh, this year, as we do all the time, we take you through a journey of learnings, um, learning about our history, learning about our culture, even projecting into the future and placing the people of Ghana and the people of Africa and even the people of the world where they belong in history, where they belong in current affairs to inspire all of us to think better and do better for the human race. And this morning, I have a book in front of me, Slavery and its Legacy in Ghana and the Diaspora. If you've been following the conversations in the past couple of years, the, the, the year of return has been a big thing, a big thing that the government of Ghana has been promoting, a big thing that people in the diaspora have been looking forward to and have been involved in. And slavery necessitated the conversation. And without slavery, we wouldn't have the year of return to really push people, uh, our, our diasporan brothers and sisters, to come back home and reconnect with their roots to, uh, to, to, to learn more about their culture and to also pacify their souls, if I could put it that way. And I have in the studio Kweku Dako Ankara, a research associate with the University of Ghana Institute of African Studies. And I also have uh, Rebecca Shamwe. She's an assistant professor of history at the Wisconsin University in the United States of America. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning. And good morning, Kweku. Yeah, good morning. I hope you guys are well. Yeah. So Kweku is a regular feature on this show. Um, we've had extensive conversations with him about various aspects of our culture and history. Rebecca, you are new and I'm loving your dress. There are some um, Edinkra symbols, Jinyame. Yeah, thank you. I got this at the Accra Mall a few mm. years ago. Okay, you chose this yourself or somebody recommended it for you? I chose it myself. So so how well do you know some of these Edinkra symbols? Uh, I know Jinyame. Uh-huh. I don't know what this one is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty. It's it's really pretty. So um so 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 tell me what what has been your relationship with Ghana and our history? Uh it's a kind of a long story really. I came to Ghana in 1993 as a college student. Um while I was here, I, I stayed at Legon in Volta Hall and uh, one of the things that I did at Legon was take a course called The History of the Fonte States with Professor John K. Finn. And so I learned about the Fonte, which um, was really new to me. I had, I had studied a little bit about Asante before coming to Ghana, but I didn't know anything about the Fonte. Um, and Professor Finn also took us, of course, to the central region. We visited Cape Coast Castle and Elmina Castle. And I became curious, really, about the connection between the Fonte states um, in the pre-colonial period and the history of these castles or fortifications, which are literally centrally located in the Fonte towns. Yeah. Um, so that turned into a senior thesis, and then I went to graduate school and did a doctoral dissertation on... Fanti history, and that dissertation has has turned into a book, which was published in 2011, uh, The Fanti and the Transatlantic Slave Trade. Mm. So and I've been coming to Ghana for 26 years now. So your book was published in 2011, The yes. Fanti and the Transatlantic Slave Trade. Yes. What, what were the, some of the things that you discovered? You know, the slave trade story is something that has been widely told and a lot of people know 
a lot of these stories. But what are some of the other things that you discovered which were not really mainstream? Uh, well, the the history of the Fanti in the slave trade was not really mainstream. Um, you know, Ghana had a very significant gold trade from the 1400s to the 1600s. Europeans were coming to Ghana for gold, not for slaves. And the, the gold trade is really what Ghanaian historians emphasized in their telling of the history of the coast. Um, for, I think, understandable reasons, the slave trade was not something, especially in the nationalist period of the 1960s, 1970s, the slave trade was not, not the part of Ghana's history that people really wanted to tell. Um, so for me, I think that what the book contributes to the history of Ghana is just a better understanding of how exactly uh, an estimated one million men, women, and children came to the coast of Ghana as captives and left from Ghana on slave ships. And part of how that transpired was that Fanti merchants purchased many of them at markets in the interior and then sold them uh, on the coast. Mostly actually not in the, the big forts and castles. Most of those transactions occurred between Fanti merchants and European slave ship captains who just met either on board the ship or maybe um, in the home of the African merchants. So that's, that's of course, only the last phase of the experience of people who were captured and then made to walk towards the coast and then usually sold and resold. Um, but the final transaction before leaving the African continent was very often, I would say, most of the time in the hands of a Fanti merchant selling people to a slave ship captain. Interesting stuff. My guest this morning, um, in fact, I have two, uh, Kwekuda Kwankra and Rebecca Shamwe. We are talking about um, Ghana and the transatlantic slave trade. So the Fantis became key in slave trade and captives were sent to these um, slave merchants, the ship captains and all, and they bought them and they took them to the various destinations. Are you able to tell us where they got the most slave merchants from? Because um, I'm, I'm wondering whether slave uh, merchants, Fanti indigenes, were they from the Ashanti lands, were they from the north, Volta, or from the um, Accra side of the coast? Where, 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 which, which of the areas within Ghana supply the most slaves? Do we know? Um, we don't know exactly. That's one of the details that isn't recorded or isn't recorded very well. Sometimes the, the European buyers thought they knew, you know, the ethnicities or the languages of the people were buying. Sometimes I think they made it up. But um, what we know for sure is that the, the vast majority of these sales of captives happened in the 18th century, mm -hmm. between 1700 and 1800. And of course, the 18th century is precisely the period of time during which the Asante kingdom was expanding, um, both to the south and to the north and to the east and to the west. Um, so we know that a large number of the captives were people who had either been captured in the wars of expansion mm -hmm. of the Asante kingdom, or, you know, the, the conquered territories of Asante 
had to pay an annual tribute. And during the 18th century, that tribute payment was made in human beings. So the surrounding territories, you know, you can imagine they had a choice either to hand over criminals, debtors, people within the society that they, they wanted to get rid of, mm-hmm. or to raid their own neighbors um, and capture people even further away from the Asante Center. But the, the majority of the captives sold from the Gold Coast were most likely people who had been either captured by the Asante or given to the Asantehini as a tribute payment. Interesting stuff. And about one million people from the Ghana Territory, if I can put it that way, were sold into slavery to to, to various destinations. Yes. There's a a wonderful database that's available online to anybody. It's www.slavevoyages.org. And if you go to that website, you can search for estimates of the slave trade. You can search by uh, voyages of slave ships that left from the Gold Coast. You can search by voyages that arrived in a specific place like Jamaica. You can see which parts of Africa those captives were coming from. Um, It's quite a powerful tool and it, it includes both voyages that we know details about because they're well documented, as well as if you want to search for the best estimate, which includes voyages that we think probably occurred. There's a little bit of evidence, but maybe not as much documentary evidence. So that's a very um, powerful tool. And according to the database, um, the region that they identify as the Gold Coast, which more or less corresponds with modern Ghana, um, was about 1 million captives. Wow. We have about 30 million Ghanaians now. So 1 million captives within that period. Um, if you want to compare to our population, that was quite a huge number. Yes. Huge number. It's huge. How many of these one million were able to get to the various destinations? Were they recorded as well? Yeah, the database gives um, the rates of mortality as as best as it's known. Um, Something like uh, an average of about 85% arrived in the Americas alive which means about 15% died somewhere between West Africa and the Americas. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's quite a a, a huge number. This is the Heritage Month. We are talking about um, the Ghana, Ghana and the transatlantic slave trade. One million people shipped from the territory known as modern-day Ghana. 85% estimated um, survived the journey to the Americas. 15% 15% did not. So we are looking at about 150,000 people who died on the way mm-hmm. and 850,000 people who managed to get to the Americas. And um, like Rebecca explained, some of them were people who were taken by powerful states as tributes. Uh, some of them um, became slaves because some other communities or states raided other weaker ones. And, and we've heard some of these stories before, like if you go to Golu and the fact that they, have, they had a slave wall to protect invasion by slave traders. And if you go to some other places where they had to fortify their, 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 their communities to, to, to fight um, slave traders, you would understand why this was a big issue 
it's, it's still a big issue considering where we are now and the fact that we have a lot of our people in the diaspora. So which areas in the Americas had the most Ghanaians? Um, let's see. I, I can't be 100% precise. Um, the most active slave traders on the Gold Coast were the British. Mm -hmm. The 18th century was the century during which the British really dominated the slave trade. So captives from Ghana were taken to all of the places that the British had colonies, the, the main ones being Barbados, Jamaica, actually a relatively small number to North America, the, the British colonies. Um, but all of, the, all of the British territories in the Caribbean and North America, but mainly the Caribbean. I see. So um, there are Barbadians who trace their roots to Ghana. Absolutely. And recently the, the, the government of um, Barbados and that of Ghana, they waived visa requirements for traveling to Barbados and also yeah. for traveling to Ghana. That's great. And I think this is yeah. going to deepen our relationship mm. and also aid uh, our brothers there to travel back home and some of us to travel there to go and see how things have been so rihanna could be ghanian rihanna could be ghanian you know <laughs> come to think of it and if you go to jamaica as well mm. um I, I know friends who have been to jamaica and i've read records of people going to jamaica and 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 hearing some local name the chromances and all that mm -hmm. uh, which which they can easily trace to the central region and western region of Ghana. Mm -hmm. So 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 getting diaspora integration and um, 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 encouraging them to return is key for them to know their roots really. And it's economically too, it's, it's something we need to do so that we can do cross investment. Because if you look at all these things, looking at the number of people we ship there, the, the, the things that happened, we are all one people, just that per the, 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 the commerce of the time, which was slave trade, it's it's sort of removed some of our, uh, our our people from us and placed there. So if we if we had to strategize, we could do something better with the history that we know and the current global economic uh, um, um, environment. Okay, yeah, let yeah. me add to what he um, said on the people moving from Gold Coast to um, the Caribbean. Uh, if you look at the database that he talked about, I had a, a, a diagram of it. Majority of the people from the Gold Coast, which the slave traders refer to them as Cromantes, mostly some found themselves in uh, Jamaica, as he said. So in Jamaica, they have even a slave town called Akumpong which in uh, uh, Ghana is Achampong, the name Achampong. Okay. okay, so the Akumpong town is, is a place that is known for the uh, Mar people they call Maroons, who fled from slavery and then have their own free towns that they stayed away from the slave masters. So those people are called Maroons. And Akumpong is a well-known first Maroon town okay. where we talk about Nani the Queen mm -hmm. as one of the people who led them there. Then if you go to Barbados, as you're saying, most of the uprising in Barbados were people who apparently had um, Gold Coast names like Kofi, okay? We have Busa and the rest. These are people who are having Gold Coast names. So Barbados, even if you look at the, the uh, uh, slavery voyage dot dot org you know that large majority of the people came from the gold coast so it's also trinidad and tobago in fact tobago has more 
concentration of Gold Coasters than any other ethnic group, except that in Trinidad, that one has more Nigerians mm -hmm. than um, uh, Gold Coasters. Mm -hmm. So you realize that it is not surprising that in this country today, we have Trinidad and Tobago having a bank here, which is Heritage Bank. So no, it's already it's Republic Bank. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah. Republic Bank. So you see that the connection is already coming. They took it from HFC, as you know. So the the connection is that if you go to a place like Montserrat, which is also a tiny island island in the uh, uh, Caribbean, all their cultural practices and festival that they do, what they call John Kenu, okay, is what they took from a. Uh, Gold Coaster, the claim came there called John Queen. And out of them, the way the Fanti celebrate their annual festival. So, Mansara, St. Kitts, and Nevis, and the rest, as well as Bahamas, you see them working on stilts, mm -hmm. something we call Sakra Bodu in Ghana. Yeah. You see them performing that act and that fancy dress thing that we do. The thing we also, see in Takrade. Yeah, the one that we stayed in Takrade and yeah. Biniba. Okay, we see all this thing in the Caribbean, and that shows the link between the Caribbean and how the people from Gold you know Coast sometimes when I listen to Caribbean music and I listen to it in the quiet and and I try to focus, I feel elements of our very indigenous music in there. Mm -hmm. You listen to even Lord Kitchener, mm -hmm. and you listen to all his collection, and sometimes you feel that he's trying to tell stories like we used to tell in our. Mm -hmm very old folk music. So the connection really is there. Now, when the slave trade happened, there were some key people who rose up later. I know there was the international movement to abolish slave trade, but who were some of the locals who really worked hard to, to, to help one ensure that slaves had a better life and also ensure that we abolish slave trade in, in, in its totality? Well, that's a really good question. Um, you know, how did this end and who should, who should be credited with uh, abolishing the slave trade? Um, the first thing I would say is we often make a mistake. There's, there was the movement to abolish the transatlantic slave trade, mm -hmm. which was really led by the British with the passing of an act in Parliament, the abolition of the transatlantic slave trade act of 1807. But that made it illegal to carry captives from Africa to the Americas. It didn't make slavery illegal at okay. all. So slavery continued for quite a long time. And in fact, the transatlantic slave trade also continued. Um, the British, of course, did not control the entire world. A lot of traders, especially from Brazil um, and Cuba, continued to carry slaves. In fact... Uh, an estimated, it's estimated that almost two and a half million African people were transported on slave ships after the British Abolition Act. Oh. So the illegal trade continued, um, and slavery very much continued to be legal for, for many more decades. Um, on the Gold Coast, because the British had a permanent presence at Cape Coast Castle, and there were um, quite a number of British administrators on the Gold Coast. Uh, it was it was relatively difficult to conduct the illegal slave trade here. So the slave trade continued mostly in the eastern part of the country, from Accra 
eastward, and then in the, the region of Nigeria and Cameroon and further south. Slavery, of course, was something that coincided with the transatlantic slave trade. So if we look at slavery practiced in Africa, most scholars agree that there were some forms of slavery or coerced labor mm -hmm. in Africa as it was also in Europe and Asia and the Americas before the transatlantic slave trade. So there was already a form of slavery. It was on a very small scale um, and nothing More like... domesticated. Yes, nothing like the plantation slavery in the Americas. The transatlantic slave trade actually contributed to an increase in slavery within Africa, which seems counterintuitive. If more and more people are being sold, um, why would there be more slaves within Africa at the same time? But the tremendous market for captive people on the coast expanded slave trading within the African continent, including Ghana, and that in turn promoted more slave holding. So when the slave trade was abolished in 1807, there were a lot of wealthy, powerful people in Ghana who owned slaves. And what happened at that moment was the price of a captive went down because there was no more British market. Mm -hmm. So it became more affordable to purchase captives. So initially, slavery expanded even more in Ghana in the early 19th century. Um, and it, that was also fueled by the development of the palm oil trade. You need someone to carry your palm oil from... And the plantations. You need people to grow the palm oil. You need people to process the, the palm nuts into palm oil. Um, so slavery was, was not particularly on the decline in Ghana prior to British colonization. And even after the British declared the Gold Coast a protectorate in 1874, the British didn't really have the manpower nor really the will mm -hmm. to actively suppress slavery. So it continued. Um, however, the 19th century is also the time when there was really a, a rapid expansion of missionary activity. People were converting to Christianity. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, Christianity came with a message that slavery was bad. This was, you know, the new, the new British ideology, which ironically turned on an exact opposite of what it had been in the previous century to say, oh, now slavery is wrong. Mm -hmm. So it's really um, Christian converts who first started to be more and more vocal about slavery being a bad thing and it should be abolished. I think Ghanaian Christians deserve more credit than the British, in fact, for eventually getting rid of slavery. And there's a historian named Sandra Green who has written about abolition in Ghana in particular. She's, she's an expert on the Anlo region. Mm -hmm. um, so she's written about this. Interesting stuff. Kwekudakwankra and Rebecca Shamwe are my guests. We are talking about Ghana and the transatlantic slave trade. And I'm going to read a line from page 33 of the book Slavery and its Legacy in, the, in Ghana and the Diaspora. 
And Rebecca, you write that the daily business of trade between Africans and Europeans on the Gold Coast followed a pattern established during the many decades of the Portuguese gold trade and adhered primarily to local African law. The prices of commodities, including captives, were determined each morning and applied along the coast at all of the main commercial centers. I'm, I'm wondering, so back then there were no telegraph telephones or any of these things. So there was Anomabo, there was Cape Coast, there was Elmina. How were they able to quickly communicate the price of captives and also commodities uh, to, to ensure that there was a bit of uniformity along the coastline? Communication at that time was carried by canoes. So it's a short canoe ride from Anamabo to Cape Coast, from Cape Coast to Elmina. Uh, so that's, that's how the information would be spread. Um, in fact, canoes, were, canoes and canoemen were extremely active in this time period. The, the slave ships, you know, these were big uh, sailing ships they couldn't get very close to land at Anamabo or Cape Coast or even Elmina. They had to anchor out at sea. And the canoes were? The canoes carried communication, trade goods, people back and forth. So uh, this was the heyday for Gold Coast canoemen. And in fact, canoemen from the Gold Coast were, were so... It really, they're fishermen is what we're talking about. They yeah. know how to use canoes because they're fishermen. Um, they were so good at what they did that canoemen from the Fanti area were taken or were incentivized to move to Accra and even as far as Nigeria to do the canoe work for, the, for this trade um, because they were just more skilled than almost anybody else on the coast. Kweku, what, what, what sh should we... How should be our approach? How should our approach be? I think that's the right expression. How should our approach be knowing all these things that over a million Ghanaians were transported to various um, destinations? We have the year of return. We, we, we are rearranging ourselves as a people. How should we approach all this new information to build a better society? Um, what it means is that we have to accept the fact that slavery happened and that um, even though most of the narrative has been that the Europeans were people who brought slavery but there were some element of local actors as she rightly explained there were some local uh, what we said indigenous bourgeois yeah. as well as some of the intelligentsia themselves and that bring pong. yes that bring pong because um, it's somewhere along the line slave trade became the major viable option than any other trade. Because, Not even gold. Yeah, because uh, Industrial Revolution also contributed towards that. So you could see um, the Europeans needed uh, people to work in the plantations in the Americas and then in the Caribbean. So this raised high demands. And as a result, more uh, firearms were also brought by these Europeans and what have you. So it went to the hands of the Africans and they use it for raiding. In fact, some other studies have shown that um, because of the slave trade, it led to a series of inter-ethnic warfare in the African states. So you see most states raiding other states because they can get 
captives and sell and get more money to build their estates. So we we have to look at all those things. So some of the internal ethnic conflicts between Ghanaian ethnic states is not even the product of the ethnic state themselves, but it was driven by the desire to capture more captives. And also in terms of even resistance to slave trade, there were some ethnic groups that were also resistance to some of the slave raidings. As you said, in the north, some even have to build high walls if you go to the north to fight against. Okay? Uh, when um, Ferguson went to the north, he also talked about the fact that some of the ethnic groups there were fighting against um, Babatu and Samora and Co. In the, in the north. So there were some sort of uh, local resistance against slave trade. And even the captives themselves, some of them even resisted. So we have uh, what is called Middle Passage uprisings that also occurred. That some even were able to overpower the slave masters and then have their freedom. We can talk about um, Sinke issue, which is which uh, Steven Spielberg has made it into a movie called Amistad. Okay, so even the slaves themselves also try to fight. But in Gold Coast, um, we, we, we have found out from the, this new book, uh, a, a chapter written by uh, a German scholar called Stefan Renkel. And he talk about a certain Gold Coast, Gold Coaster called uh, Francis Fieron, and how he wrote a series of letters to complain against increased in slavery, even after slavery was uh, was abolished under Governor Griffith's time, and even complaining about some of the educated elites who were clandestinely engaged in slave trade. So, we, for for from this book, we have now had a very tangible evidence of Ghanaian who was involved through his uh, letter writings and advocacy against slave trade. In Gold Coast, and that is why this book is very important that people should get. This is the Heritage Month series. There's a lot more coming uh, in this month, so just keep listening to 97.3 CTFM and also check CTFM uh, citynewsroom.com uh, for all the podcasts and all the updates on the Heritage Month. We learn together, we grow together, we develop together. Thank you very much, Professor Rebecca Shamwe and Kwekuda Kwankra. I hope to talk to you uh, some other time soon so we explore more about our history and our legacies. Thank you for joining us this morning. Yeah, Kocho, thank, you. thank you very much. <laughs>